Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of the tragedy of 9-11. And I'm sure we all took time in the day and, and took it in as in different ways. And for me, sometimes it gets overwhelming to look at the tragedy and the pain and the grief that we collectively felt as a whole, that seems so much to bear. So for me, it helps to zoom in, to take the big and zoom in on the personal stories because real people's lives were changed that day, all of us. But sometimes zooming in can remind me of the good in humanity amidst the pain, amidst the anger and the fear and the distrust I zoomed in, and I did that through the Broadway show, Come From Away. Now, a great Echo friend named Sue introduced me to this Broadway show, because musicals, they make it all better, right? But this story is the true story of what happened when the planes could not land in New York City. And so 38 planes were diverted to Gander, Newfoundland which it's in the Canadian province, and we'll show a map on here, of Newfoundland and Labrador. So there's the red dot, the yellow as you see where we are. And so that's how, that's where they are on the map. But planes with 7,000 passengers from over 100 different countries were on these planes. They were all supposed to land in New York City. And so now they had to land there because there was a very big airport there. But fun fact, Gander only had about 10,000 people living in it at the time. And 7,000 people arrived, almost doubling their population. Mind you, remember, this is not when smartphones exist. So first of all, the 7,000 people have landed in planes and they can't deboard yet. And none of them know why they're there. They've landed. They know there's an emergency, but they don't know. And finally, Hours later, when they were able to get off the planes, they were greeted by an entire town. Now, the thing about Gander is it's known for its hospitality. The way they love each other as neighbors, they immediately welcomed all these strangers. They stopped their lives, and they figured out how to make meals, how to open up a school so that thousands of people could sleep there. And their stories told that strangers would take people to their homes so they could take a shower. Uh, Some of them took people moose hunting or berry picking. They had barbecues together. For five days, the town of Gander grew by 7,000 people and everyone felt at home there. There were pharmacists who had to try to scramble together medicine because some people didn't have their prescriptions with them. And other people played music for them. They just really brought them in as one of their own. And some passengers said, can we pay you for all of your kindness? And they said, no, 
This is who we are. This is how we love people. You're welcome here. And so now the Broadway show, it's filming on Apple TV Plus. That's not a promotion for Apple. No one's paying me for this. I just want to let you know, if you want to watch the show, I got it at my house. Come down and see me just down the street. Schedule a time. We'll all watch together. But it's a very powerful story. And it will remind you of the good in the world. That in Canada, not even affected by 9-11, they cared about our tragedy here in the U.S. They cared about taking care of those who were in their neighborhood. Now, just as I took a big tragedy and zoomed in on a specific, we've got the book of Luke here. It's the next series we're going to go in. We're going to read through this book and we're going to see this giant plan of God, but it's going to start very small. So today we're zooming in on one small household that was part of this giant, massive plan. But before we zoom on on that, let me show you our series title, Journey of the Redeemed. Now, Because there's a long book of Luke, there's a lot of the life of Jesus we're going to cover. So we're going to do it in several different smaller segments. You'll see this first one is called Burning Sand and Bubbling Springs. Now I have to tell you, I got really excited because we were trying to think of, you know, all the staff were like, what would be a cool name? We've got some great words. What's going on here? Well, first, our journey of the redeemed. If you've been with us through the book of Ruth, that theme of a redeemer was brought up time and again. And Ruth was an ancestor of Jesus. And I just kept thinking, look at the way God redeemed through the generations and brought Jesus here. He is our redeemer. And I kept thinking of that word redeemed. And in the book of Isaiah chapter 35, there's a subject heading called the joy of the redeemed. And I was like, that's us. We're experiencing God We are learning about him as he came to earth as Jesus, and we are the redeemed. And so what is our journey going to be like as we look at Jesus's life and ministry? How does that impact us? How do we live as people who are redeemed? And then in verse 7 of Isaiah 35, that's where these words of the burning sand and the bubbling springs come. It talks about the way people And the whole earth was transformed when God's presence showed up. And we're going to get into the desert sands here in the coming weeks. We're going to look at water springing up and what that meant for the life of people in ancient Israel and what that means for us today. So sometime take a look at Isaiah 35 and maybe you'll see the coming themes. But for now, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to read some scripture for us. We're going to be here all morning. If you want to turn in your devices, grab a Bible in the pew, Luke chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. It's in one of the Gospels, which are the four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that all tell the story of the life of Jesus. And they all tell it from a slightly different perspective. They've got some different stories in here. And we're going to read first about why Luke is writing in the first place. What is his purpose For this perspective. Verse 1 says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. 
With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke, that is the name attributed to this book. Some think that it might be the same Luke who traveled with Paul in the early church, who was a doctor. We are not 100% sure, but this is a very intelligent, well-informed person, educated. He said he did his research, he talked to eyewitnesses, and he called people servants of the word. See, that they lived in a time where there wasn't media coverage of things that happened, where there were not books they could read. They passed on stories and oral tradition. There were great storytellers in the community, and it was their job to communicate well the stories of their neighborhood in order to share it to the next generation. And so you would gather and you would listen, and these would be stories you would get to hear year after year. And there was this man named Jesus, and people were talking about him. And perhaps Luke did not want to let those great storytellers pass on without gleaning from their first-person memories. Because when a generation passes, we lose their stories. So Luke takes the opportunity to write it down. And Theophilus, that's a name that means a person who loves God. Was it somebody's first name? Perhaps. Could he also be a literary device where he's saying, to all you, you who love God, let me tell you this story. And let me tell it as best as I can, as detailed as I can. And Luke is going to go about showing us who Jesus was. But first, he starts with not Jesus. (laughs) Great, great way to start the story. Just like any good story, we have build up. And so we're going to meet someone who wasn't Jesus, but he was related to him. Let's keep reading in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. <laughs> He's just, that's, that's Luke, you know, just calling people out. They're very old. But that focus on that they lived righteously. And I can imagine, just as I was seeing the people of Gander, can you just see Zachariah and Elizabeth just living day in and day out? It says blamelessly, righteously. I can just see them being kind to their neighbors, welcoming strangers and friends into their home. They're just living life, ordinary people. Fun fact, even though we have, you know, I can flip a few pages and I can get back to the Old Testament very quickly. But between the time of the Old Testament ending and this, the gospel's beginning, there were 400 years, 400 years where God's word was not spoken aloud to people. He spoke to prophets here. He's getting ready to make some new words out into the world. But 400 years were silent. And so that is the time where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. They'd heard these ancient stories of a God who delivered them, who redeemed them. And, and Zechariah served day in and day out as a priest for setting up worship, facilitating worship to Yahweh, the Lord God. But there'd been years of silence. They just lived 
their daily lives. Um, let's see, go on to verse 8. Zachariah's division. So Zachariah was on duty, and I'm just going to skim past these verses here. But it basically explains that there's lots of priests, and they're all facilitating worship throughout Israel. But there was all these different assignments. So twice a year, Zechariah would have been assigned to go to Jerusalem and spend a whole week there in the actual temple in Jerusalem. And so this was one of his weeks where he had traveled from where he was to Jerusalem. But here's the thing. They would draw lots to see who got to do the most special, amazing job. Because they're only in Jerusalem 14 days out of every year. And there are so many different priests, they've all taken turns. And if it wasn't, if you hadn't got to go in to this holy place where you stand alone before God and burn incense before the Lord, that's this very special task. And they drew lots, anyone who hadn't got to do the job yet. So it says Zachariah was very old. He's drawing a lot. Basically, he's waited his entire life to do this special priestly job. And when he goes in, Here's what happens. Verse 11. An angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. I feel like, again, Luke is making me laugh. He's calling him very old, startled and gripped with fear. That's an understatement, right? God hasn't spoken in 400 years, and suddenly there's an angel. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. What had Zechariah been praying for? Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you were to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So God had been promising. He had said to his people, I will redeem you. I do have a plan. But for these 400 years, perhaps they were starting to doubt Where is this plan going to happen? Why have we not seen God move? And here, an angel of the Lord shows up and says, I'm ready. And it's going to start with a baby. As all interesting stories do. This great, great plan is going to zoom in onto a tiny baby. And he's going to have a purpose. He's going to prepare the way. People have been saying, like, Elijah was this great prophet and he turned people back to God. Elijah will come again, but not the actual Elijah. It says that John is going to take on that same spirit of Elijah. And guess what? His name means God has been gracious. So Zechariah has been praying for all of these years, humbly serving the Lord. And God says, I'm answering your prayer. And he's going to be important. Here's the problem. Like any great person, Zachariah is like confused, maybe a little skeptical. I mean, probably I would be too. Verse 18, Zachariah asked, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. 
The angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and will tell you this good news. A little dark humor here, like, okay, you don't believe me? I stand in the very presence of God. You can trust me. And now you'll be silent and will not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words. <laughs> now, Zechariah is not the first person in the Bible to doubt, and he won't be the last, but I find it kind of amusing that yet he had some consequences to pay. But maybe the Lord just knew that Zechariah had some things to learn for nine months. So he doubts, and now he speaks no more. So Zechariah, they... He comes out of the temple and he can't talk. He's kind of gesturing and making all these signs, it says. And the people are like, something happened to this guy while he was in there. He was in there for a long time and now he's not talking. But Zechariah, he finishes out his week and Jerusalem heads home, hangs out with Elizabeth. Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And she says these words in verse 25. Elizabeth, her joy is... The Lord has done this for me, she said. And these days he has shown me his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Okay, we're going to fast forward nine months. And all the people in the town, you know, they're seeing that Elizabeth is not of normal childbearing age. That There's this great miracle that has happened here. And everybody's watching and waiting, and it's eight days after the baby has been born, and that's when he's circumcised and officially given a name. So they're all excited. The town is there. They're very excited for Elizabeth and Zachariah, and they ask, okay, so is he going to be named after Zachariah? Like, that was his legacy, to name a son after the father and this special birth. And Elizabeth says, no, his name is going to be John. And they look at her like, well, that's not tradition. There's no one in your family named John. Are you sure? And then they look at Zachariah and ask him. I'm like, like, they don't believe her. Like, she just had the baby out of her body, and she just gave him a name. And they look at Zachariah and are like, okay, what do you think? Do you agree with her? Zachariah's like, give me a pen. And he wrote down, verse 63, his name is John. Immediately, Zachariah's mouth was open. His tongue is set free. He began to speak. So he fulfilled the silence, he trusted in the Lord, and now his baby is born. It said all the neighbors were filled with awe, because they they just felt like this was something special. Everyone who heard asked, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Now I love this next section, and it's going to bring back our theme of redemption on our journey of the redeemed. Zachariah is filled with joy, and he's filled with God's spirit, and he sings. But he sings a prophecy. He sings about this ancient story, this giant plan that he is now a part of. He's saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. Just like last week, we looked at the genealogy of Jesus and said he was related to David, to Ruth, and to Boaz. And Zechariah has a word for his own child, John, in verse 76. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. 
because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. Some big words about a tiny baby. This child's going to have a big mission to do. And in verse 80, it says, The child grew, became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness. And that's our teaser for next week. We'll head to the desert wilderness. But all of this, what's the point of it here? It's really great that this couple was faithful and that they really wanted a baby and they got one. But is that it? It's, it's about God fulfilling this long-awaited promise. For generations, people were waiting for something to happen. And if we zoom out, we see all of the ways God was moving throughout history. But he zoomed right in to one household. And I love how New Testament scholar N.T. Wright describes this. The needs, hopes, and fears of ordinary people are not forgotten in the larger story. Precisely because of who Israel's God is. The God of lavish, self-giving love. When this God acts on the large scale, he takes care of the smaller human concerns as well. The same God today who cares about the big, cares about the details of our lives. And N.T. Wright went on to say that he, God regularly works through ordinary people. Doing what they normally do with a mixture of half faith and devotion are holding themselves ready for what God has in mind. Just ordinary people. And sometimes we may feel like we don't have enough faith to do anything big. Zachariah didn't have the full faith. He was devoted, but he doubted. That was okay. He was still part of the plan. Because God works through ordinary people like Zachariah and Elizabeth. They're just, they're just faithfully doing the day in, the day out. Just being kind to their neighbor. Just loving on the Lord, loving on people. And God took their bit. They gave him a son. And God is going to exponentially reach the world and spread his redemption message. Starting from their just small, ordinary acts of faithfulness. You know, God works through ordinary people. He worked through the people of Gander. Like 7,000 people's lives were changed because they spent time in the compassion and neighborly love of strangers. And because their story is being told wider and wider, more and more people are inspired by that story too. Exponentially outward, just because people were faithful day in and day out to do good and be kind. God works through ordinary people like us. Maybe you feel unseen or unknown, small. Maybe you're just going along and you do something nice one day. It makes a difference. I believe that God can take the small, ordinary things that we do every day, just those good things, just that neighborly love. I believe he can use it exponentially. That you don't know that your one deed could show someone else the redemption love of Jesus. 
It just takes one deed. But one of Jesus' followers, years after Jesus lived, named Paul, he wrote to a church and encouraged them because life gets hard. And he says, let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So I just want to say that to us because right now there's just still a lot of junk in the world. There's just heavy things that we're having to see and carry and feel and experience. And it makes us weary and it makes us angry and it makes us heartbroken. Just don't give up. Just keep, keep trying. One more day. The next day. I think that's, that's just the first step we have to take. To know that God is using what we do for a purpose. That our small steps, our small deeds today, they'll go on outward to the bigger picture. So in our journey of the redeemed, we ask, on this journey, how do we live as the redeemed people of Jesus? And today our answer is, do good and trust that God will use it exponentially. Will you pray with me? God, our hearts can sometimes be heavy when we look at the big, wide burdens of the world and of our lives, the conflicts and the stress. But when we zoom in on the, on the daily joys, on the daily miracles that we see you working, it reminds us that good is still here. And that we can be a part of it. We trust God that you're always moving. That you have purpose. Even when we don't understand your timing. We try to trust in you. Use our good today. And please do something with it. Do something with our good to touch a life that we may never see. With your great love. Thank you for caring about the big and the small. We love you. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.